Hello, folks. Fall season will soon be upon us, and that means school for the little ones, Halloween, all the other frightening things that happen as the nights grow longer. Don't miss the latest episode of Drew Blood's Dark Tales, with new episodes premiering on Fridays. And, of course, don't forget Fear from the Heartland with Paul J. McSorley, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and Horror Hill with Eric Peabody. You can find them all at the simplyscarypodcast.com website, on YouTube, or your favorite podcasting service. Or be sure to visit the chillingtalesfordarknights.com website and become a patron and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Slow down just a little bit. Join us for a scary good time. We're waiting for you. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 13, Episode 20. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing three tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Brian Martinez. Tonight we'll hear stories of ostracized orphans, terrifying tropes, and fiendish freaks. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit SimplyScaryPodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail... So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> the Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. 
Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Find your forever. It's a phrase that you would normally hear for bringing home a pet. But really, for some lucky children means the end of a lonely existence, wandering the halls of an orphanage until you just start coming up with a new way of turning the wallpaper into voodoo dolls. But sometimes things at a new home aren't exactly what they seem. Though who has the biggest surprises for whom? Well, that's a matter of debate. Without further ado, I present to you a very fine dollhouse. Eleanor couldn't believe her luck. Of all the girls at Pilgrim Ridge Orphanage, she was the only one who didn't get picked at the Grand Sunshine Spring Picnic. The Sunshine Picnic was the biggest day of the year by far. The girls put on their best linen dresses, hand-me-downs all, and hers fit terribly. Sat on blankets and ate tiny sandwiches in the grass, trying to look good and sweet and, most of all, tidy. The potential parents circled them and paid visits, asking them what they wanted to be when they grew up, as if there was any answer other than not an orphan. But Eleanor's blanket didn't receive a single visit the entire picnic, not so much as a, how do you do? Later, she scolded herself for the sloppy way she'd braided her plain brown hair, which was the only explanation she could come up with for such a disastrous result. Within a week, all but two girls had been picked up in big chrome cars and made their waving exits down the gravel driveway of Pilgrim Ridge. The other girl, Millicent, was only waiting for her new parents to return from a trip to the Adirondacks. She never missed an opportunity to say so, often with a smug grin for good measure. One day, after the director reprimanded Eleanor, for pouring craft glue into Millicent's slippers, she heard the unmistakable sound of a car driving on gravel and stopping at the front entrance. It wasn't a Thursday, the day for deliveries, and so Eleanor was curious as to the nature of the visit. She stopped up the oak stairs and ran to the arched window with the best view of the driveway. The car was parked there, big and red, with the grill like the bars of a jail cell but she'd already missed her chance to see who'd been driving. She sat down with a huff, knowing full well she wasn't supposed to approach guests. Twenty-two minutes later, Eleanor was summoned to the director's office. The director stood smiling in front of her desk, next to a brunette man and a blonde woman. Eleanor, she said, I'd like you to meet Mr. and Mrs. Densmore. Hello, Eleanor said, and the couple returned her greeting. We saw you the other day at the sunshine picnic, the man said, and Eleanor squinted at him. But I didn't see you there. Eleanor, the director warned, but the man and his younger wife seemed amused. 
We're a little more private than the others, Mr. Densmore explained. We admired the way you handled yourself. It's not an easy thing to retain one's composure in the midst of such, well, disappointment. Eleanor looked at the director, who continued to smile, and not tell the Densmores about the incident with the glue. Eleanor, Mrs. Densmore finally spoke, we're looking for a fresh start, and we'd like you to be part of it, but only if that's something you wish. We're not here to force you to do anything you don't want to do. Eleanor was quiet a while. She counted to twenty, pretending to think the proposal over. Eleanor Densmore had a lovely sound to it, like a poem, only real. This is your room, Mrs. Densmore said, and Eleanor thought she'd never heard four more perfect words. Seeing her new house had been wonderful. From the moment she set her eyes on the two-story colonial, its roof like a decorated cake to her tour of the rooms. There was something special about her bedroom. It was the freshest looking in the house, newly painted, the windows draped in white lace curtains. It had an oak bed with pink sheets, and next to it, a small table holding a vase of yellow and red flowers. But best of all, it was all hers. The days that followed were like a dream. Mr. Densmore drove his car into the city to buy and trade stocks, while Mrs. Densmore gardened away her afternoons. Each day, she would pick the sweetest-smelling flowers to make sure the vase by Eleanor's bed stayed fresh and bright. Eleanor's bedroom was filled during the daylight hours with the scent of them, like perfume mixed with dirt. At night, though, as the petals wilted and the stems bent, another scent made itself known. Sweet as well, but more sickly so. When she asked what the smell could be, Mrs. Densmore simply replied, Oh, you know how these old houses are. On the third day, a Saturday, Mr. Densmore descended the basement stairs after breakfast and reemerged with surely the most beautiful dollhouse ever constructed. So taken by its intricacy, it took Eleanor nearly a full minute to realize the truth of it. It's this house, she exclaimed, looking from the dollhouse to the matching kitchen around her. Mr. Densmore laughed, while the missus kept a reserved posture. That's right, he said, explaining that he'd made it himself shortly after they moved in. Eleanor found it an odd thing for a man with no children to do, but then maybe that explained the quiet glances he was receiving from the missus when she thought Eleanor wasn't looking. With considerable effort, Mr. Densmore brought the dollhouse to Eleanor's room, where she sat under the fresh flowers to play with it. The dollhouse's resemblance to the actual house was uncanny, with one exception. Eleanor's room must have been a storage room previously, the dollhouse rendering having no furniture to speak of. She reached for one of the tiny working doors in the dining room. Mr. Densmore's hand darted out to catch hers. Don't break it. This is a very fine dollhouse, you understand? For the first time, she saw in him the faint outline of a temper. He had green eyes like Eleanor, but his burned with fire. She waited until he left the room to play with the dollhouse. A short time later, Mrs. Densmore came to check on her. Eleanor asked if it wasn't too much a bother to have some fabric to make a few dolls. 
the missus, obliged, bringing her an old shirt of Mr. Densmore's, as well as a torn blouse from her own closet. With them, she brought a length of twine as well as strings of various colors and a small pair of clippers, telling Eleanor to mind her fingers. Carefully, as she could, Eleanor fashioned simple dolls that bore faint resemblances to the Mr. and Mrs., then pulled the ill-fitting linen dress from her suitcase and made one of herself. Three little dolls, a perfect family of cloth and twine. First time in quite a while, Eleanor cried. It was still dark when she woke. There was something in the air she couldn't place, a smell like playground dirt under fingernails. Eleanor's eyelids peeled back slow and thick like pleated theater curtains, revealing a stage. Her arms and legs, paralyzed by sleep, tingled with cold nerves. As she slowly surfaced from unnaturally deep sleep, she became aware of a thought at the back of her mind. It was like a misremembered dream, an image that faded when looked at. She chipped away at its edges until uh, it drew into focus. The memory of what she'd known since she woke, but hadn't had the words to form. She heard something moving in her room. Eleanor remained perfectly still, listening to the dark bedroom behind her. The novelty of having a room to herself had worn off, and she wished again to be in a room full of girls, mean or otherwise. Yet still she froze, still she held her breath, still she strained to hear the noise she now realized had been the thing to wake her. And in that darkness, in that room with no companions, no help in sight, nothing stirring except bedsheets shivering against her suddenly cold body, she heard the unmistakable sound of scratching on a wall. The next morning, Eleanor rose and readied herself for the day, treating the prior night as nothing more than a bad dream. It was a silly thing to dwell on, a combination of a likely mouse problem and sleep-driven imagination. Just after breakfast, though, an angry shout pierced any hope of a peaceful morning. What is this? Mrs. Dinsmore fumed, dragging Eleanor in front of the dollhouse. What is what? Eleanor squeaked. She was accustomed to being reprimanded by orphanage staff. Coming from Mrs. Densmore, it was a shocking thing. That, the woman said, pointing. Better explain yourself and soon, young lady. Confused, Eleanor scanned the dollhouse up and down, her eyes coming to rest on something that didn't belong. The dolls she made of herself, Mr. and Mrs. Densmore, sat at the miniature kitchen table where Eleanor had left them. But now a fourth doll had taken residence. It was made of faded purple cloth, with haphazard bits of yellow string for hair. It sat against the wall of what would be Eleanor's room. I... I... Eleanor was speechless, having never seen the doll in her life. Its messy construction gave it the most horrible of faces. Before Eleanor could find the words, Mrs. Densmore stormed from the room and locked the door behind her. Eleanor spent the day that way, alone, even after Mr. Densmore returned home from work. Her stomach growled and her bladder kicked, but she sat quietly on her bed and pretended not to notice. The night fell on her like a starving dog, so sudden and black. With it came again the scratching, those jagged fingernails digging at wood. She didn't dare look, didn't dare breathe. 
She lay in her bed, fully clothed, and let the exhaustion pull her down. The next day, Mr. Densmore went to town on an errand shortly after Mrs. Densmore went to tinker in her garden. Once Gain allowed out of her room, Eleanor spent the first hour reading a book in the sitting room. Soon, though, her thoughts returned to the dollhouse in her room. Her room. The dollhouse would have her believe it had been empty before she moved in, but that didn't seem right. After a time, and with a great deal of hesitation, she decided to check the basement for anything that might have been left behind. Eleanor opened the basement door quietly as she could, crept down the creaking steps. She was too short to reach the lights, and it was too late to turn back for something to help her see, so she continued forth in the dark. She pawed around in the corner where she believed Mr. Dinsmore had retrieved the dollhouse, her fingers, feeling the cold and dusty floor, until she found something small and wooden. Clutching it tightly, she ran as fast as she could back up the steps and didn't stop running until she'd reached her room. The object in her hand was a bed. It was fitted on with a tiny set of covers, neatly tucked, and in the deepest shade of purple. She approached the dollhouse, peering inside at the tiny rendering of the room she stood in, where the mysterious purple doll had appeared leaning against the wall. There were marks on that miniature wall now. Scratch marks gouged into the wood. Eleanor looked from the dollhouse to the wall behind her. In front of it, blocking it, was the small table holding the vase, and the flowers overpowering in their sweetness. Eleanor placed the bed inside the dollhouse and approached the wall. She moved the table and the vase aside and quickly found a faint steam in the wallpaper. It took some doing, but eventually she found the way in. The smell was stronger now. The tiny room, little more than a few bare walls, held at its center a shape no larger than her. It wore faded purple rags with a piece torn from it, just enough to make a doll. When she reemerged from the hidden room, still pinching her nose shut, Mr. and Mrs. Densmore were waiting for her. We can explain everything, Mrs. said, gripping a new handful of sweet-smelling flowers from the garden. Greta wasn't a good child, not like you, Mr. Densmore added. When Eleanor took another step out of the hidden room, she stepped on something soft. Mr. Densmore cried out in pain and clutched his arm. Eleanor lifted her foot, finding she'd stepped on the cloth doll of Mr. Densmore. In fact, she'd stepped on its arm. As Mrs. Densmore tried to console Mr. Densmore and understood the source of his great howling agony, Eleanor retrieved all of the dolls and moved to the dollhouse. She reached inside to her room, the room in which they stood, and shut the tiny door. As she did, the door across the room slammed shut. It startled Mr. and Mrs. Densmore. They cursed and shouted, but Eleanor couldn't hear it over the soft sound of whispers in her ears, a shadow having fallen across her back. The missus, trembling, seemed to understand. We can make this better, Eleanor. On my word. Her voice was shaky, pleading. Eleanor moved other objects around a dull house, listening to the distant clattering throughout the house. Clutching his broken arm, Mr. Densmore took a step forward. Eleanor, please. 
must know why we chose you, why I chose you, why I came back for you after all these years. He pleaded with green eyes, the same color as Eleanor's. There was a game the girls played at Pilgrim Ridge called What Would You Do? It was a simple game, the name being explanation enough. Eventually, no matter how imaginative the scenarios posed to one another, it always came down to the same question. What would you do if one of your real parents walked in the door? Some said they would hug them. Some said they would punish their parents for giving them up. Eleanor never had the chance to answer, but if she had, she knew it would have been a combination of the two. She stood then, looking at the Densmores in pity. Eleanor squeezed both dolls, one in each hand, and watched them crumple in front of her. The sound was like wood crackling in fire, air escaping the crumbling logs in sharp, whining puffs until the light inside was snuffed. She was an orphan again. Yes, but an orphan with a friend, a stepsister who would be by her side and protect her from the Mr. and Mrs. Densmores of the world. When Eleanor left the house, she did so with not one shadow, but two. Eleanor couldn't believe her luck. I hope you enjoyed A Very Fine Dollhouse by Brian Martinez, as performed by yours truly. I hope you enjoyed the tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author. And you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash martinez. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash M-A-R-T-I-N-E-Z. Among his many accomplishments include the Unseen series, available on Amazon. Be sure to pick up those and his other fine tales that are available. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. See what we did there, folks? Not everything I say before a story is there for flavor. I didn't bring up those dolls for nothing. And apparently, neither did Eleanor. Sadly, though, those do sound a lot safer than stepping on a Lego. <laughs> the Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie. And we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Though it may be a little early in the year to bring up a Halloween tale, I believe there's no real problem in setting the mood as fall starts to settle in. And that means different things to different people like reading certain books, watching certain movies, 
sharpening your favorite knife collection. The prep is endless. But speaking of movies in particular, well, it would appear we have one fellow souring on an evening film because he's just so sick and tired of seeing certain characters do stupid things just to keep the plot moving. But maybe he'll see things differently if something were to happen to him. Without further ado, I present to you Zoe Troll. It was Halloween night, and a pale moon presided. Ghoulish children skittered through the streets with sacks of sugar clasped in their chubby fingers, while grinning adults watched them from their porches. The air smelled of shaving cream and raw eggs, and the sound of occasional bodiless laughter drifted through the trees. Nate, who'd barely ever gone trick-or-treating, even when he was still young enough for it, sat on the couch at his girlfriend Jess's house. The two of them watched a horror movie Jess had picked out, one where a man in a mask stabs people for some reason. Jess had insisted that no Halloween was complete without a good, scary movie to get the heart pumping. And while Nate didn't agree, he'd learned to go along with any plan that got Jess onto the couch, especially when her parents were out of the house. His patience with the movie was growing thin, however. As much as he enjoyed how tightly Jess had pressed her body it is, he'd been far too distracted by what was happening on the screen to do anything about it. For him, the movie was a collection of irritating characters making dumb choices that got them killed. By the time the group of teenagers on screen split up to cover more ground, he could no longer suppress his anger. Oh my God, Nate muttered, and Jess took her eyes off the television long enough to look at him. What's wrong? This movie, Jess, it's so dumb. No one acts like this in real life. She looked back at the screen where a cheerleader had just tripped over a tree root and landed face first in the dirt. So? So it completely takes me out of it. Why were they just doing research in a library? Which, by the way, was the darkest library I've ever seen. Were the librarians saving money on the electric bill or something? They do these things a thousand times in these movies, and it never makes any sense. Jess placed her finger on his lips to quiet him. Shh, she whispered. Let people enjoy things. He wiped her hand away a little too hard, and she giggled. You're saying I'm not allowed to criticize something because other people like it? I'm saying be careful because you're becoming the unlikable boyfriend character, she warned. Oh, yeah? And what character are you? Guess you'll have to wait and find out. She leaned in and pressed her lips against his. He gave into it, and they kissed to a soundtrack of synthesizers, punctuated by stabbing sounds. Blood-red light from the television setting the mood. It's issues with the movie suddenly didn't bother him so much. Why don't you get us some drinks? Jess asked, burrowing back into the couch. I'm feeling a bit thirsty. I bet you are, he teased. What do you have in mind? Anything, as long as you add a little vodka from the freezer. Nate liked where the evening was going. He got up from the couch and headed for the kitchen, eager to return and pick up where they'd left off. 
Jess's parents had one of those kitchens that always reminded him of a morgue. Everything was either made of cold tile or brushed steel. In the dark, he could almost imagine a blue-lipped corpse laid out on the counter instead of a bowl of half-rotten fruit. Nate opened the refrigerator door, squinting from the sudden burst of light that illuminated the dark room, and rooted round inside until he hit pay dirt. A half-empty bottle of orange soda. It wasn't his favorite flavor, but it would mask the vodka nicely. He closed the refrigerator door, chopping at the sight of a little boy in pajamas standing in the kitchen. There's a man in my window, the boy said, unblinking. His voice was small and even in tone. It was Teddy, Jess's little brother, though how he'd sneaked into the kitchen, Nate had no idea. Jesus, kid, where'd you come from? He placed the soda bottle on the counter and bent down to the kid's level. He decided to play nice in the hopes that Teddy would leave. You must have trained to be a ninja with how quiet you are. What are you, a brown belt? Can you look out my window? the boy asked. Nate straightened up and glanced down the hallway where the red hue of the den beckoned him like landing lights in the night. He wanted nothing more than to send Teddy back to his room and head back to Jess, drinks in hand. And yet, he knew the quickest way to do that was to take a minute to reassure Jess's little brother that he was imagining things. Okay, kid, he said, let's go check it out. With Teddy leading the way, the two of them headed up to the boys' bedroom. Teddy's room was on the second floor, a long flight of stairs, making it even less likely that he'd actually seen a man in his window. Almost every stair creaked underfoot as they climbed. In the year that Nate and Jess had been dating, he'd never seen her little brother's room. And it was a typical five-year-old boy's room, except for the unusual amount of dolls piled in one corner, all facing him. He looked away from the crowd of dark, beady eyes and checked the window. Big surprise, there was nothing. No man, no face, not so much as a dead leaf stuck to the glass, making shadows. Nate had entertained the idea that maybe some prankster had climbed the house to scare the kid, but even the street below had grown quieter, only a few kids still out trick-or-treating. He watched as a four-foot-tall devil ran down the block and out of sight to join the other monsters. It was probably a bird, Nate concluded, turning back. Nobody ever believes a kid, Teddy said with a sigh. Nate was about to ask what he meant by that when a voice in the doorway caught him off guard. What's going on, Jess asked. He saw a bird, Nate replied. It wasn't a bird, Teddy argued. I saw a man in my window. Well, there's a man here now telling you you're safe. Does Mom know he's here? Teddy asked his sister. What? Yeah, of course, Jess lied. And anyway, Nate added, why aren't you out trick-or-treating? Teddy frowned, obviously upset about it. I'm sick, he replied, and Nate snorted. You can say that again. Jess hit him in the arm surprisingly hard. You, she said, pointing to Teddy. Back to bed, no more stories. She pulled on Nate's hand. Come on, you better go. Nate's heart fell. He pulled Jess to the side and lowered his voice so the kid wouldn't hear. Your parents won't be home for at least another hour. Sure you don't want to, you know, finish the movie? 
he asked in his most seductive voice. Trust me, it's time to go, she replied. Nate was disappointed, but he knew there was no point in arguing about it. At least he'd only have to suffer through half of that terrible slasher flick. They kissed on the porch as a cold breeze moved past them. The night had shifted, a wind moving in from the east. All right, I guess I'll see you tomorrow, Nate said, heading to his rusty Camaro. Not if I see you first, Jess replied with a wink. He took one last look at her, so sexy and blonde, and everything else he wanted from life. Nate had the sudden urge to run back to her, smother her complaints with a kiss, the two of them going at it right there on the porch, even at the risk of her parents catching them. He knew she wanted it as much as he did, and it wouldn't be out of line at all. Nate sighed, then he got in his car and drove off, bleeding music into the night. The weather had changed drastically over the past hour or so. The pale moon was now hidden by a dark layer of clouds that had rolled in, and with them, a cruel wind that shook the trees on either side of the road, their branches like hands waving him off. The children, worried about being caught out in the rain, had scurried back to their houses to spill their bags of candy across the kitchen tables and bask in their bounty. How many of them would choke on hidden needles or razor blades that night? How many of their parents would be secretly to blame? Too bad Teddy hadn't gone out trick-or-treating, he thought. Nice bag of razor blades would have shut him up nicely. Nate chastised himself, turning up the stereo to drown out his thoughts. Peering out the dirty windshield, a sudden shiver ran up his back. While he'd never exactly enjoyed the drive from Jess's house on account of the isolated road that ran through the forest, tonight it weighed heavier on him. Perhaps it was the extra insult, having to drive it earlier than expected and unsatisfied at that. But in all honesty, it was something more than that. It was the darkness. The night itself felt thick, hard to see through, like trying to move through tar. Nate flicked over to his brights, and yet the headlights hardly made a dent in the dark, only serving to highlight the gnarled trees reaching out to him as he sped past. Without warning, the stereo cut out. The music blaring from the speakers stopped, leaving a loud silence in their wake, and a moment later, the display went blank. What the hell? Nate said, pounding his fist on the stereo to no effect. The only sound in the car now was engine noise coupled with the whistling of wind past a crooked side window. Marrow's engine sputtered once, twice, then cut out. The car lurched. Nate fought the steering wheel as the entire dashboard went dead. He held on tight and hit the brake, cursing under his breath as he guided the car to an eventual stop on the side of the road. He turned the key in the ignition. No response. You gotta be kidding me. Nate looked around at the dark crowd of trees on either side of the road. He didn't understand what had gone wrong. Camara was old, sure, but other than some cosmetic detailing, he'd kept the thing in mint condition. There'd been no warning signs that anything had been remotely off in the past few days. Now the thing wouldn't even start. Annoyed, he fished the phone out of his pocket, deciding between calling his parents or a tow truck. The tow truck would cost the money, something he didn't have an abundance of, 
and yet bothering his parents would cost him in plenty of other ways. But it didn't matter either way, his phone was dead. That's not possible, Nate said to himself. He held down the power button in case it had accidentally shut down. He even tried slapping the phone against his palm, but nothing worked. The battery had been well over half-charged the last time he looked. He was sure of it. First the car died, then the phone. None of it made any sense. He peered through the windshield at the black asphalt, huddled between two sides of shadowy forest. In so little light it was impossible to see more than thirty feet down the road. Even the moon had died on him. Before he committed to abandoning his car and taking a very long, very dark walk he didn't want to take, he tried to start the car one last time. He gripped the key and the ignition, channeling all of his hope into his fingers as he turned it, praying to whatever saint looked out for horny teenagers. The starter clicked, the engine trying its hardest to turn over. The headlights sputtered on, too, briefly illuminating the road in front. Not just the road lit up. Something else was caught in the headlights. A flash of spectral white movement. It was just a few feet in front of the car. Nate only had a moment to register the sight of it before the headlights died again. What the hell was that? He asked breathlessly. He hadn't seen enough to make out what it was, only that it was human-sized and that it billowed in the wind like laundry drying on a clothesline. If it had a face, he hadn't seen it. He squinted into the darkness, but darkness was all he found. Okay, Nate, don't be stupid, he coached himself. It was nothing, or it was something, but you're safe in the car. Just stay in the car. All you have to do is keep the door. Bam! Something slammed into the passenger side door. Nate jumped, a scream escaping him. He clawed his door open and stumbled out of the car and across the road, running terrified into the night. It took him only seconds to reach the woods. The concrete fell away and turned to hard dirt underfoot. Then he was pushing his way through trees. It was dark and cold, night alive with the scream of insects mating and killing. There were other sounds, too. Sounds of something following him. They were like footsteps, but wrong. He pushed on through the trees, cutting his arms, his face, but he didn't care about that. All he wanted to do was get away from the thing that he'd caught the glare of in his headlights, the thing that smashed against his car, and was now following him, hunting him through the shadows. He swore he could hear it again, breathing. Maybe that was just his own breath, his chest heaving. You couldn't tell what was real anymore anyway. Couldn't tell where he ended and the night began. Finally, he saw something through the spiderweb of branches ahead. Light. He knew it couldn't be the road. That was far behind him now. And the road on the other side of the forest would still be miles away. He didn't know what it could be, but he knew it had to be light. And light was better than dark. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Nate stumbled into a clearing, bursting free of the trees like a half-drowned man, coming up for air. He didn't stop moving, though, not for a second, because he knew whatever that thing was behind him, it was still there, still following him. That was until he saw the house in front of him. It was two floors high, the white paint on its shutters oddly pristine for a house in the middle of the woods. A house, he noticed, with no driveway. The small garden had grown wild, and a porch light out front welcomed him, beckoning him to take refuge from the thing that stalked him. Don't, Nate said. But the woods, the sound in the woods, was closer now. Not quite footsteps, not quite sticks breaking. He knocked on the door. No answer. The sound came again, this time even closer. There was a tinge of breathiness to it, like the wind moving through his hair. He didn't want to be standing on that doorstep any longer, not when that thing showed up. Cursing himself, he tried the door. The handle turned. It was unlocked. Don't go in, he warned. He shouldn't go inside, Nate told himself. He needed to stand his ground keep his back to the door and fight like hell. The sound came again, louder. It was almost there, just past the tree line. It put a feeling in the pit of his stomach he'd never felt before, like he'd swallowed a block of ice. The leaves began to rustle, the trees swaying. It was almost on him now. Nate threw the door open and ran inside. He slammed the door shut behind him, pushing his body against it. He tried to lock the door, but quickly realized it had none. Some of the older places were like that, from the days when no one needed locks on their doors. Old-fashioned fools. The house was dark, and he felt panic rise in his throat at the thought of all of the things he couldn't see, things that might be there. He found a light switch, but stopped himself from using it. There was a chance, a small chance, that the thing outside didn't know he was in there, He had to take whatever advantage he had if he hoped to make it out alive. No. No chance he didn't know he was there. Something flickered past the front window, a ghostly whisper of white moving toward the door. 
They looked around in desperation, seeing faint outlines of a kitchen and living room. In front of him was a set of stairs, heading up. He had no choice. He ran upstairs, thankful they didn't creak, and cleared the top just as the front door opened. Nate ran quietly as he could into the closet room. It turned out to be a bedroom with a window too small to fit through. He looked at the bed, low to the ground, with an ornate headboard, a small dresser with a lamp on top, an open closet with a full-length mirror mounted on the door. He heard the sound on the stairs, footsteps, but wrong. Ice twisted so hard in his stomach he wanted to throw up. His eyes bounced around the dark room, searching for a weapon, something he could use to his advantage. Nothing. He stepped into the closet and shut the door silently. Nate tried to control his breathing. He'd been heaving and panting so long that it wasn't easy. His lungs burned. He felt as if he was choking on his own heartbeat. A closet, so small and cramped, was quickly filling up with the sour smell of his sweat. The thing following him entered the bedroom. He could hear it moving out there, lightly across the room. There was a click, which he assumed was a lamp being turned on, but he couldn't see. Couldn't look. He didn't dare do anything but stay still, to sweat in silence and breathe in his own fear. The closet door opened. Nate swung out, trying to strike the thing before it attacked, but he hit nothing. He was blinded by the sudden brightness of the room, only making out a phantasmal glow of white halfway across the room. He blinked, ready to swing again, to never stop swinging so long as that thing existed. Then a word came, just one, in a voice he knew. Nathan? He blinked again, wiping the sweat from his eyes. As they began to focus, the phantasm took shape in his vision until it became his girlfriend, his beautiful girlfriend, wearing a flowing white dress he'd never seen before, like lace curtains dancing on the breeze. Jess? For a moment, he believed, truly believed, that it was all just a hoax, an elaborate prank meant to scare her boyfriend, the lifelong cynic. But one look at her eyes, the coldness that had taken them, her face like a sheet of ice, destroyed any hope he'd mustered. He looked around the room as if it held answers. Only the lamp shone on the dresser. What, what are you doing? What do you want? Your blood, she replied, as if it was obvious. She held out her hands, the white fabric draped over her arms. I want all of it, all over my hands. She smiled, but not like she usually did. Not the way she'd always looked at him. It was a smile that drained feeling from his fingers, spreading across her face like a cancer. Why are you doing this? It doesn't make sense. His voice shook when he spoke. He barely recognized it. Because, she replied, it's a twist. He blinked the sweat from his eyes. What does that mean? If I told you, it wouldn't be a twist. He shook his head, trying to make sense of what she was saying. Obviously, she'd gone mad. Why now? We've known each other for so long. No, she replied. Glancing at the window. We didn't exist until tonight. Nate blinked, feeling like the walls were closing in. 
What are you talking about? It's not me, she whispered. It's them. Her eyes, unblinking, watered as she spoke. They shook, too, shook as if she'd seen God. They were always here, Nathan, she smiled. For so many years, stories were spoken around fires, passed down to children's children. Then at some point they were written down, carved, scrawled, saved by any means. But then, then it really got interesting. Have you ever seen a zoetrope, Nathan? Nay, tried to speak, but couldn't. Pictures inside a cylinder, that's all. Spin it fast enough, and the flashing images create life. A frog leaping, a horse galloping in an endless loop. The same thing, over and over, but you can't look away. Soon they became films, televisions, videos. The form changes, but the meaning stays the same, you see. Every one of them is full of lives. Everyone overflowing with souls created and destroyed in that moment, over and over, just to tell the story. Just for the ones that watch. What are you saying? Nate asked, his voice barely a whisper. I'm saying this is what they want, Nathan. They want your blood in my hands, far more than I do. They'll watch me kill you, sometimes alone, sometimes not. And if they like it enough, they'll watch it more and more and more. If they don't, you'll never be seen again. Rage suddenly drew in Nate's chest. Rage at what she'd said. Not because he thought she was crazy, but because he thought she wasn't. Something about it, hard as it was to hear, felt true. He ran across the room to the dresser and pulled a lamp free. He ripped the lampshade off and held the exposed bulb toward her, blinding light holding her back. Not if I kill you first. She tilted her head slightly. You know I'll just come back. We always come back. She moved toward him, her eyes never leaving his. He felt his knees buckle. He was tired of running, tired of shaking, tired of being afraid. The lamp lit her harshly as she fell on him, her hands wrapping around his face, holding him. Please, he begged, though he no longer knew what he was begging for. She smiled down at him, her face cold and pale. You needed this, Nathan, just as much as I do. They give us life. This is giving you life. She squeezed her fingers into his eyes until all he could see was light, and then she pressed further in. The lamp fell from his fingers, rolling back and forth on the floor. Shadows cast up on the wall, flickering images of their embrace. Shh! She whispered. Back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. As she pushed further in, helping him see... The eyes watched them through the window. Cold, hungry eyes. Beyond them, the clouds parted, and the pale moon returned. I hope you enjoyed Zoe Drope by Brian Martinez, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured authors can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash martinez. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash M-A-R-T-I-N-E-Z. 
The Unseen, The Mountain and the City, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Volume 1. Whatever your poison, be sure to check it out when you get the chance. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012. All of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Stay tuned as the season is just rounding out. Only a few more weeks left. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. 
Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>「You Know and Trust」you can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.